0: Hi I'm Jennifer and I'm Matt. This podcast is your regular dose of uplifting, inspiring and motivating life-changing tips and success strategies to help you create the wealth, health, lifestyle, passion and prosperity for your own life that you want to create. Welcome to The Prosperity Project. Drawing is one skill that we can pretty much decide we're either good or bad at pretty much from childhood. And I've always had the strong opinion that I was rubbish at drawing ever since my teenage years. And I realised that I didn't actually have evidence of that similar mindset through all my adult life. And maybe it was actually time to see if that was really true or not. What if actually the very things that we think we aren't good at are actually the breakthroughs to something greater once we try them. So if you've been following my Instagram, as we record this, it was last week, just a week ago, that I went a very special course. The first time that actually I've been away from the boys, and you, I think for any length of time of choice. Um, and I was away for six days in a residential course. And the reason I was away was all to do with this book. It's called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. It's by Betty Edwards. It's a very famous book. It's been actually out since about 1979 I believe she first brought out the first edition and that book as we're going to talk about has actually changed how I view my creativity and I think we've been on a really nice lead up on this podcast. The past couple of months I think I have personally gone through a bit of a journey with my own creativity and you know getting a sense of confidence you know that we were talking about kind of courage and things like that, a couple of weeks ago just really figuring out what I enjoy what I feel maybe called to do a little bit deeper and things like that and this course I feel has just come at the right time I've learned so much from it and if you follow me on Instagram as well I was sharing daily updates of what I was up to we've even made a video on the Kempston House channel about the five day experience of learning how to draw and this particular book, have never heard of it don't worry, it's a, a very structured system for teaching adults so over the age of 12 how to draw and the whole assumption is that you start from nothing so just like me i had the strong mindset that i was rubbish i was very symbolism based because i'm an engineer by degree and so i'm used to just drawing lines and and i really used to get frustrated with drawing at school because i was always very black and white i loved maths and physics and those are very black and white subjects so there's only a right answer there's always a right formula and someone can teach it and you can basically just learn it And do the same thing to get the output and with art it was compulsory for the first couple of years of high school age up to about 14 and i just remember every art class just being kind of left to our own devices there was maybe a, a goal of you know doing an object or copying a picture but the you know the art teacher tried their hardest to try and get us all there was maybe 30 kids in the class and i never got a sense of Being taught how to draw it kind of was do you have that ability or not or do you enjoy it while you're here anyway
1: and I found the same in art classes in school actually so you end up with a project or Mm. an idea or something that you're trying to do but no one's actually coming around to teach you techniques or skills or how to put things together it's we're going to paint with either watercolors or we're going to use pencils or charcoals or whatever maybe make collages But there was never really any focus on how you're gonna do it, how you can improve. It was always just go do the thing. (laughs) And there you go, your art's done. And therefore you didn't end up in a position where you could really improve. Mm. Unless you knew someone, maybe your parents were artistic or you had a flair for it and were practicing outside of times. And especially when we were younger, we didn't have YouTube videos to watch (laughs) to guide us through things. So it really was either you felt comfortable doing it or you were just there ticking the box for the hour until your next lesson came along.
0: Exactly. And so I randomly found this book, but as I said, you know, the start of the podcast, I am going through this process where I'm very aware where I've decided I've got certain mindsets about myself. So let's, for example, say about drawing. I just from a young age, from that age, just really struggled. Like the things that I would draw didn't look like the things that I wanted to and I didn't really understand how to make things look more realistic and so because you only have a very limited time in art class it was maybe like two hours at the most you kind of just say oh well I'm rubbish at it you know and that's it and you just don't do it and the moment you don't do something of course you you're stuck at that point or you go backwards slightly I have this I used to have the same thought process about certain exercises so and we love to watch the CrossFit games and things that you got kind of me into all that a couple of years ago we watched it with the boys and I again love watching the athletes male and female the team sports I really admire their their mindset their determination the athleticism as well and I've looked at it and always just thought well that's not for me that looks too tough and just in this past week coming back from the course of course I've decided that I'm just going to, I'm going to give it a go. I'll be the person, you know, the newbie in the class. Why not? See if I like it or not. And I think it's a really great process that, you know, you find these mindsets and you say, okay, I'm not good at this. Okay, but actually what evidence? Oh, well, you know, when I was 14 or when I was 25 or 30, this happened and that was it and it never worked out. Yeah, but you're now older. Do you, Would you like to try it again? Does it excite you? You know, I think we have to realise that sometimes... The strong opinions we have of ourselves are sometimes not based on a lot of evidence it's just been one event or a couple of events and actually you're kind of dismissing something that could open up a huge amount of joy in your life for no reason
1: i think the evidence you can gather could be correct but my question goes to not just where's the evidence but mm. when did you try like a baby if they could talk could say i'm not good at walking
0: <laughs> i, I yeah. can crawl
1: but i'm not good at walking And then you'd argue and say, well, when did you try? Because the moment a baby starts to try to walk and they try again and they try again, then look, you've got someone that everyone's excited and screaming about them taking their first steps. Mm -hmm. With anything, the evidence needs to be looking at when you tried, when you put in the effort and when you put in the time. And the great thing about this art course is because it was residential, mm. so you had no distractions, Yes, you couldn't opt out of it. Well, I mean, you could get back in the car and oh, just and there, come and home. and there
0: was. So actually, before we start, the the person actually taking the course, the lady, there's been plenty of people in tears during this course. There's plenty of people who have driven home on day one. So yeah, as you say, actually kind of making it through was <laughs> somewhat a feat on its own.
1: Yeah, but you, you find that... Unless you commit to something, unless you put yourself and and you're kind of all in, and we've discussed this as well before, you really have to give something the time and the focus. Mm. And then if the evidence says, you know what, you just suck, <laughs> then so be it. But you also need to understand whether you suck because you're just not that like great, mm. or whether you suck because the process takes a while. If you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm gonna do three hours of guitar a day, And by the end of the week, I want to be doing guitar solos. I want to play along to any song that I could ever hear. You're kidding yourself. A week's not enough time to learn guitar and Mm. to be comfortable and good at it. For art, you're not going to be necessarily creating works that you'd want to see in a gallery. But you can be significantly better than Mm. when you started. And that's the great thing about your residential. It was eight hours a day for five days. Yep. Solid learning skills and techniques and putting those into practice and then getting guidance as you went. Yes, yep. And that then, if at the end of it you feel like you either don't enjoy it or you feel like your skills just aren't there, you can't make things happen, mm. then that's your evidence to say you're not good at it and then you can leave it alone. But I think we rarely put in that time and that focus and that effort. So we tell ourselves that we, we can't draw, that we're not good at cooking, mm. that we're not good at doing fitness things, that we're not good at doing science or maths or whatever else. Yeah, We tell ourselves so many stories, but we've rarely put in the time to actually give ourselves the opportunity to be any better.
0: So let me cover the book now. So why this book is particularly successful in getting people to learn how to draw in such a small amount of time is actually it was based on a Nobel Prize winning scientist um, in America, his work on the brain. So the teaching methods that Betty presents in the book are based on the work of Roger W. Sperry and I hope I'm saying that right from 1930 to 1994 and he was actually based in California, the Institute of Technology and his work was primarily focused on your brain, the two parts of your brain, your left hemisphere and your right hemisphere, working differently. So your left hemisphere, and we call it L mode in the core in the course. L mode is all to do with your language. So if you think about anything verbal, analytics, and um, that kind of black and white process. So actually, when I hear that, I think about my comfort level is lab- is the L mode. So anything where it's very matter of fact. And I can language as well, you know, hearing and working out and communicating is all based in the, the L mode side of your brain. The R mode is actually where intuition and creativity, you might see, you know, you get your inspiration from when you feel that you're in flow. So if you've ever had that state where you feel like time doesn't seem to, you know, be recognized, you're just completely immersed. That's because the R mode has kicked in. So when you're doing certain tasks, L mode will be in operation and R mode will be quiet. And then for some tasks, you need our mode to kick in. And this book, when it was released in 1979, actually remained on the bestseller list for a year. And it still sells, I think the lady said, about 10,000 copies a year to this day. It's very famous. And subsequently, the course that I went on is actually the only UK-based residential course. You can do it in America, where Betty and her son are based. But you can only do this particular one here. And why it's so interesting, this course, is... It breaks down activities that force you to go from left L mode to right mode. To be an artistic, to be creative mode, to design, to draw, you need to be in R mode. There's not that much of the L mode, you know, the language skills or analytics. It's purely what do you see, but also how do you interpret it as well.
1: And the book guides you in the same way as Mm. the course does. So the book itself talks you through pretty much all the exercises that you did. But obviously you don't have any feedback or guidance and also on the course you got given some of the tools you needed in order to achieve some of these things properly. But the book itself if you're able to give up the time and the effort it's the same actually as anything. If you're trying to learn a new skill sometimes going into it and kind of being out the way of everything else helps you. Mm. And if some people are able to a compartment in their life in such a way that they can give an hour yes, and they yep. can really, really can focus. Be, exactly. So how you do anything in life doesn't really make a difference. For some people it works just to have no kids, no family, no responsibilities, and you can just get on with the task at hand. Mm-hmm. Sometimes life doesn't allow that or you're just really good at being able to siphon off a piece of time to be able to get something done. So if you were interested in art and this was a way you wanted to go the book and I think there's an accompanying workbook as well you can get so you can go through this and you can actually explore the left and the right sides of your brain specifically the right side of your brain on this particular course Mm -hmm. and do some of the things that you've covered Mm. Um, but a residential is also really good. It's also just a nice break away from everybody and, and <laughs> no, the chatter. It's
0: the, it's the immersive experience. So, I've been on a couple of Tony Robbins events. And if you've ever seen Tony Robbins, puts on these three, four, sometimes week long immersion events, right? You go there and you're there maybe 14, 15 hours a day. And the reason being, he always says, if he can get your full attention for that time, it's more likely to, to build upon knowledge rather than just in snippets. You're not you know, thinking about what you're going to cook for dinner or thinking about traffic. And I titled this podcast, you know, how learning to draw could actually make you happier and more prosperous. And it's because of these key components in learning how to draw, I find this course hugely fascinating. So over the course of the week, and if you want to check out the Kempston House video, it actually shows you my progress physically. And you know, over just the couple of days when I was sharing with you and messages, you know, what I was learning Even you could see a difference. You could actually see the building blocks appear really quickly. And there's five components of learning to draw that Betty teaches. But I found these so insightful that this really inspired this podcast. I actually think these are some of the fundamental things that allow us to feel creative and the sense of intuition and joy switch into the R mode that actually could have a huge effect in your everyday life, not just in drawing. So let me go over the the five components of drawing and really do um, recommend this course if if you fancy, you know, breaking that stronghold if you think you can't draw either. I think you're probably stuck like I was in, you know, when in my teenage years and I'd given up. There's five things. The first thing is seeing and drawing edges. So that's what you probably describe as like doing contour drawing. So it's really focusing it and being clear on where you see the difference between light and dark as well in what you're doing. So for example, I'm looking at this laptop, you can see the edges where the color changes, where light changes, that's how my eyes picking it up. The next thing as well is seeing and drawing spaces. Now this was hugely insightful. So when you're doing particular objects, Rather than draw the actual object that you're focused on, you actually draw the shape around it, the negative space. So if something's a very technical drawing, we actually did a drawing of a chair. We were told to focus on creating the spaces around the legs and on the table. Now you might think, well, why'd you do that? Now I automatically as well go a bit deeper and we'll talk about that in a minute. You create the negative space because your brain will fill in the gaps. we forget the power of that we tend to in life maybe see the negative spaces but the only way that you actually know that they are negative is because you've got the contrast there so your brain will actually know that there is positive there and fill in the gaps already
1: and that makes a lot of sense i think if anybody tries to draw a chair Mm. especially if it's on a slight angle you'll try to draw the legs and the body of it but actually the nature of a chair means that there's lots of big shapes yes. where there's nothing. And it's probably easier to draw a chair if you say, right, there's a rectangle there. That's exactly and there's it. a triangle there. And you make those shapes. And because of that, you're left with a chair.
0: That's exactly it. And
1: you're less focused on the, the lines and the detail and everything mm. else you instead focusing on the much bigger pieces of it. Yes. Because the chair legs are quite thin. The seats, depending on what angle you're sitting at, is quite thin. The yep. back of a chair is generally like slats or whatever kind of shape it is. So you end up with drawing a lot of lines. But actually, if you draw all of the shapes, if you draw all of the gaps in the chair, yep. you end up with the chair. With the you chair, uncover yeah. by the process of elimination. Yes. And actually, I think we've discussed this on a previous podcast as far as like life in general. If you eliminate the things that you don't want, Mm. if you eliminate and remove the things that aren't relevant, aren't important, aren't a factor, you're only left with what matters, the things that are important. So you uncover really where the, the picture is, where the prominence is, where the things are that you need for the picture or in your life. You find those automatically. By the process of illumination. So
0: good, yeah, exactly that. So, the bigger space, the negative, like putting around the border, we would actually measure, we'd use different things like angle finders, we'd use proportion finders. And again, it's all these tools about making things as accurate. Well, you don't just judge it by sight, you actually get out <laughs> the ruler and the angle finder, but working on the space. So, if something was incredibly detailed, let's say, you know, I'm looking at cameras, focusing on the big shapes in between all the legs you will still end up with a camera and probably actually far easier. And one technique that tied in with those two was we did this exercise where we flipped a a photo upside down and we had to copy it. So your brain wants to see symbolism and it wants to see similar things in life, right? That's why we talk about, you know, what you think about the most you actually end up creating because you're looking for evidence. And by flipping this picture upside down, what happened? We forced the left side of our brain to shut off because it couldn't find patterns and instead the right took over. It was purely immersed in just copying this line. We ended up copying, I think it's a Picasso painting and actually yet again it looked like the thing that we wanted. You were drawing
1: a particular line drawing Mm -hmm. and actually what I found was, and this was a long long time ago, maybe when I was 15 or something, one of the best pictures I ever did was when I was trying to copy a cartoon character of some sort. But I was doing exactly that. I was following and saying, right, well, this line goes up by this small amount, Mm -hmm. and then it changes here, and then you end up with this angle here. And I ended up with... It's it's quite incredible, actually. You were doing it piece by piece, like working from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. I kind of did an outline. And by following the measurements, and it wasn't... I didn't use any tools for it. I just measured it as I went. But if you're drawing around something... And you're doing, you know, little notches here and a circle there or whatever. The fact that I ended up with the final bit meeting where I started, yeah, yeah, exactly that where I meant to, yeah. was amazing. And it ended up being exactly the shape that I wanted Beautiful. it to be. And it represented this image. And that's, I think, because I was able to, I didn't need to flip it upside down to mm. achieve it. But I think that by doing that, you end up being able to replicate what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And... In your way, flipping upside down meant that you weren't trying to create the image. You Mm. were just trying to create the shape, the line, the right length, the right angle, the right relationship between this piece and that piece. And they don't mean anything. So it's just a matter of does this circle or does this wave sit in a similar proportion to the one next to it? And is it in the right angle in the right place yep. i don't know what they are but as long as they look like they're in the right position in the right place then i know that i'm creating
0: what i need to absolutely and one of the techniques is so we're doing this exercise of the flipping and this is really insightful to life as well we were told to put our pen or our pencil on the paper and slow down so if there's ever times that you feel that you're you know you're looking for shapes too much one of the best things you can do is just look Directly at the object. So for example, if I was doing your face I would measure out the distance between your eyes I know how to do all those because there's set in um, parameters that are quite equal and think of quite balanced in most faces But as I get the basic shape, I would then with my eyes look at you pencil on paper and do really slowly Literally just moving my eyes down and letting my pencil follow and again what that does is going slowly is more precise than trying to quickly draw a shape, get the curvature. And by me looking and not looking at my paper, it's more likely to be more accurate as well because I'm actually just moving a little bit as I go around things. So again, a couple of nuggets of (laughs) life lessons. And the third thing was seeing and drawing relationships. So what we meant here was how things, lines, shadow work, how does it look in relation to something else in your picture so it could be in terms of light sources okay the shadow that you may be trying to copy is that a particular angle and also what does it look like compared to something else on your picture and because you're really trying to with doing drawing you're looking for that build-up of tonality Because everything in life isn't... We don't just have, like, four flat colours. We've got different tones as more light and more dark is present. And so it was all... Like, for example, when we're doing, like, faces... I know the certain markers that are pretty standard for most faces, but I still need to measure them on every single person. So if I'm measuring between your eye to your chin as a as a typical marker, I still need to see actually what's your corner of your eye to your ear. It should be one to one. It should be the exact same, but I'd still check and the reason being for that is You know getting the relationships so things aren't nothing is standalone it's all completely in relationship to something else
1: when i think about the relationships in the art thing i think about how one dark thing one shadow Mm. should be similar to another shadow that looks the same so that way you end up with you kind of look for things which are similar and i think in life as well when you're trying to grow develop and move forward looking for similarities Mm. in things can allow you to potentially shortcut. So if you are particularly struggling with your self-discipline in one area, it's very likely that the reason that you might not be successful in another area is also that self-discipline. So by fundamentally trying to work on maybe something you can find easier to be disciplined Mm. in, means that you can apply that across a broad range of things yeah it's about trying to find areas of similarity similar success similar failure and how can you apply those things more globally and in art it's more literal mm. but actually that lesson you can take and you can look into it and and see a broader application in your life about just perspective and yeah. similarity yeah, and mm. and and how things can be measured an approach in a similar way.
0: Absolutely. The fourth thing was seeing and drawing lights and shadows. So we mentioned this a little bit, but shadowing and tonality is huge because it's how we make things look more realistic on a piece of paper. Because in our world, there is so much light. There's also bits that are in darkness in our own lives as well. And again, going back to where we maybe get stuck as a child and we think we're not good at drawing, it's usually because Our brain as a child is used to that symbolism to make use of the world. Everything is quite, okay, that's a door, right? That's the shape of a door. We're taught shapes at school. We're not taught shade, you know, shadow and light and all that. And so as an adult wanting to draw, it's then being aware, okay, there is that different makeup. And actually, you know, depending on how the light's sitting, depending on relation to something else, it's, it's really just so insightful. And I keep coming back to this one phrase that Betty in the course mentioned and the lady who was teaching us, what do you actually see? So not what do you think you should see? What do you actually see in this moment? And I learned... Now my drawing, obviously over five days, is nowhere near as good as you know as other people have been doing it for years. But now I can really start to focus in and say, okay, what shapes of light am I actually seeing on things? Well, there's a there's a kind of square there, there's a kind of triangle there, and so once you do your outline of a shape, it's actually one of the first things you do. You do this thing called grounding. Usually when you're doing kind of pencil work, grounding just means putting a medium tone of grey. So so that your paper isn't white, you've got a medium tone because you can then go darker and lighter really easily. And once you've got the outline of what you're doing, you add in, you take away and put the light. That's the first thing you do because light is usually much more predominant than dark on anything. And so that step alone can make your picture look like it's coming alive because you've added some of the essence of it. And the final thing, and this was my favourite thing to learn, was seeing and drawing the whole, now I'm going, I think it's German, I hope it's German, Gestalt, I hope I've said that right. It's the essence. That's what you had to also try and capture. And I just loved that as being the final principle. When you are drawing, or when in my experience, the hardest bit was at the start. So literally when you had nothing on your paper and you were just trying to make, you knew full well that you were gonna to have to commit and put lines or take measurements, and it was gonna be a little bit tricky and you were gonna to have to use your L brain. Once I got past that, and at the start of the week, the noise in my head was really that, like, oh, this is too hard, don't want to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. Very quickly, I, I got over that. And towards the end of the week, I don't think I heard much chatter at all at the start. Between the middle and the end, I really enjoyed. There was this really super fun bit where you could just go with the essence of what you were feeling of the person. So um, the lady who was teaching us would talk about you could actually get the feelings of the artist as well when you look at a picture. So if maybe you were in a bad mood, maybe it was a bit more <laughs> kind of, you know, rougher around the edges and a bit kind of more angry with the dark. But if you were trying to capture maybe someone feeling upset or sad, you might put that equally into how you're expressing. And I really loved that last step. And that last step, the essence, only comes about once you have put down the first four steps. Once you have your edges, your light and shade, once you know your relationships and everything, you don't get the essence of something until you have those building blocks.
1: And I think a lot of things in life actually work the same way. So if you look at personal finance, now it's called personal finance because it's personal, Mm. but you need to understand the fundamentals. Yes, You need to understand about the balance between incoming and outgoing (coughs) cash and how you build up a surplus. Now, what you choose to do with that surplus then becomes more personal. Do mm. you use it because you want to go on trips and yeah. have a great time? Do you want to invest in the future? Do you want to invest in a way that's less or more risky? Do you want to put it in pensions? Do you want to put it into a casino? Like how do you want to do mm. these things becomes personal. The same as understanding about like car finance and mortgage rates and best deals and all these yes, kind of things. Yep. But the fundamental learnings you need in order to be able to then add your own flavor and own spice. And actually flavor and spice, cooking as well. Mm -hmm. Understanding and following recipe books is a great way to get you started because then you understand how flavors come together and you understand how to put together different meals. But once you've maybe followed a few different recipes, then you can start to make changes to some of the ones that you've done. You can add things, you can add a little bit more, you can remove things, you can change the base of the protein that you have in it. And you can find that you can achieve things that are more exclusive to you mm. rather than following this blueprint. But without the principles, it's very difficult to be able to add your own flavor and be successful at it. Absolutely. And even if you haven't learned via a course or a book or a video, you still need to get it from somewhere. And often if you haven't learned from somewhere else, it's through trial and error. Mm. Um, and you've just practiced stuff and you've learned, especially if you think about cooking, You've made some terrible meals and you've <laughs> eventually learned what works and what balances. And now you can put things together and then you can diversify. And as long as it's in the realms of what you've already done, then you're really good at it. Absolutely. So without that foundation, without that understanding of some of the core principles of whatever area you're in, you can't then bring character. You can't see necessarily the whole picture mm. or make changes or make it bespoke to yourself and get to the point where you enjoy the process because that's the thing i picked up where you mentioned there is once you understood a lot of the principles then you felt like you were in a, a better state of mm-hmm. and approaching and rather than overthinking then instead you can just kind of go with the flow and make the work happen mm-hmm. and i think that people on a finance journey at first you can start to think to yourself oh what's the best bank account to go into mm-hmm. should i put my surplus money into this savings or this investment or that investment And eventually you get to a point where you think, well, you know what, like all of this detail doesn't really Mm. matter. Mm. All the detail is there in the background as knowledge. So I know not to put all of my money on one random stock (laughs) where I've got no idea what's going on with it. I'm not going to take that kind of risk, but. I do understand that putting my money in maybe index trackers or spreading it across multiple stocks or something is smart and then you don't overanalyze things mm. as a beginner you'll start to look at what your stocks are doing every single day and see right how's it doing is it growing is it going down oh it's going down i've made a horrible mistake this yeah. is bad only yeah. rich people should do this <laughs> once you find that it's going okay then you gain that confidence mm. and i think that the art course just prove that point of once you understand the principle and once you put them into practice a little bit you find that you become so comfortable with them that you can focus on the bigger picture
0: Mm. and the key thing with the switching from l mode to r mode your left hand side of your brain when it feels that it's not being of use so in a lot of these activities where we're trying to shift from looking logically and language based into creative mode the l mode doesn't like that it actually will do whatever it can to sabotage so that you stop doing so it doesn't need to switch to our mode because it doesn't feel safe and that you know our art teacher was telling us stories about one lady had tried a couple of times to do the course complete you know to do the residential course and this time was her most successful because she only spent two days in the kitchen crying before doing it. So the Monday, Tuesday, she couldn't do She was in the kitchen crying. Another guy um, came on the course and by the Tuesday had said, nope, it's not for me, I'm leaving. Just absolutely determined, was not going to carry on. And, you know, the four of us who were on the course were all different ages, all different backgrounds as well. And for us, it was it was kind of just a journey of, you know, feeling like we'd like to draw for different people doing it for different reasons. But not once did I think anyone was going to tap out. I think I felt on Monday, Tuesday, this feels hard. And I actually think it's because I don't often move to our mode very easily. And you think, okay, Jennifer, you're a creative. You do, vid- you know, I do videos and I've got to find inspiration. But that switch, I now am more aware of when it's happening, which is the nice. And it actually, it feels more fun. To go into our mode and be more selective with how I'm focusing.
1: I also think it's difficult to go into something where you maybe find it a bit difficult. Mm,
0: and then absolutely, persist. Absolutely, absolutely. an amateur.
1: I think everybody feels uncomfortable doing something, feeling like you're not very good, feeling like there's a long way to go. Yep. And that just as you've mastered one thing, then you're onto something else and you suck again. And that, it hurts your ego and it hurts mm. your motivation. Mm. And and it keeps challenging whether you have the ability to do it. Yes. And that applies to a lot of things in life as well. That's the great thing about doing this course. It uncovers so many different things mm. about different areas of life. Like how many people have gone on diets and they've done very well for a few weeks and then they've maybe messed up for a few days. Yep. And that saps your motivation and then you fall off the wagon entirely. Yep. And you don't get back on it until you find another perk of motivation, maybe at the next January or whenever it is. And then you go again, and then you get a bit of failure, you get a bit of hardship, you get a bit of friction in your process. And again, you fall off again. And I think we can all be guilty of doing that too readily. Mm. We can be in a position where we find that friction, where things are going well, or we've got real drive to do something. Mm. And because it gets a little bit tricky, because the process isn't smooth, it isn't easy, yeah. it doesn't feel comfortable, we're not constantly getting a pat on the back to say great job <laughs> and we're proud of ourselves, then we find that motivation disappears. Yeah. Because we live in a world where we are full of quick fixes, we are full yeah. of instant gratification. If you want something from the shops, people have opened pretty much 24 hours. Mm. If you want something from Amazon, you can get next day, same day. So you're not waiting for anything you don't need to live in a world where you can't get success yes in a lot of things quite easily and therefore it's very easy to sit in zones where you are just good at the things or you're comfortable with where Mm. you are you don't Mm. need to be good you can just be comfortable it might not be that great in the first place (laughs) but you're comfortable with it and that's why i can see people can get upset and can tap out of things because when you have the struggle and the hardship. It hurts in a way that we're, we're not used to. Mm. We don't put ourselves outside of our comfort zones often enough. So the moment you do and the moment it's not easy, you, you find that you just don't like it. That feeling of being uncomfortable at failing or just not being as good as you hoped you would be
0: mm.
1: can really be punishing. But that's actually where if you push through... You can end up seeing the best results.
0: Absolutely. And the whole point of the course, um, Dr. Edwards created it, was because she actually believed learning to draw as one of the skills that people develop throughout their life, however good you are, is actually a ripple effect that it helps your creative problem solving in other areas of life. So it's not just drawing, it allows you to shift and be comfortable with trying to find intuition or inspiration or and just whatever you're going through in life. You know, how can I see this differently? How can I really see what's here in this moment? So when I was thinking about what could I best share with you as some of the ways I think that learning to draw has allowed me to understand prosperity and happiness a little bit differently, the first thing I would say is being able to try a new skill and also be guided through a process that felt quite like a system. (laughs) You know, it feels like you're going to get an end result. But to actually see that there was a lot more deeper skills being learned in the process, and we talked about courage, being okay with being a learner again, I found it hugely invaluable. And particularly because I had such a strong mindset that I was no good at drawing. And I love the fact that maybe there's been a little bit of courage instilled in me over this past week that you know when I went on the course I was like this book is really quite complicated these people have done extraordinarily well you know look at what they're doing there's no way I could create that but I'm going to go and have fun anyway I now have had the courage to think what else am I stopping myself from not doing and also why am i stopping myself but but is there something like this could be an avenue in my life that's going to really change things if i'm it's almost like i'm keeping myself safe but actually it's not me keeping myself safe it's something that doesn't want me to succeed in some way let's imagine and this is just me personally i believe every single person has a reason why we're here. We have gifts, we have talent, we have your uniqueness. Nobody else can do your flavor of things in the world the way you can. And I always believe that when you get inspiration or desires or goals, that's because you're meant to excel in that area. You're meant to excel, but also have a ripple effect in the world as well. If if you're willing to be part of your skills and what you're doing in it. I sometimes think that we get these nudges to say, oh, that looks really good fun. And there's that L-mode or that whatever you want to call it goes, no, no, that's not for you, it's too hard. Is that keeping you safe or is that deliberately not allowing you to have your potential? In the world? Could, you, could you imagine if the whole population of the UK woke up tomorrow or today and said, No, I'm gonna I'm gonna live out my dreams, maybe the world would look remarkably different. And also just be a completely different environment for our next generations. And I I think it's the balance between keeping ourselves safe and feeling okay. But actually, is there not fun and excitement in doing the things that we thought we couldn't possibly do before?
1: I think the reason we don't do stuff is we fear finding out that a version of ourselves is different to what we hope. Right. So by not doing something, the reason you haven't done things is not because you might find it difficult not because you might fail not because it's tricky not because you might not be able to commit but because you just don't have the time you don't have the um, scope to do it you know work too busy i'm going to challenge
0: that i'll let you finish but work too busy
1: the kids <laughs> require too much we throw in all these reasons because what it does is it gives us a safety net of letting us be who we think we are and our potential also kind of lives behind this door of, well, you know, I would, if, if, it, was all, if it wasn't for all these things, I'd be able to do this, I'd be able mm. to do that. But actually doing it, what happens is then you're opening yourself up to challenging mm-hmm. these preconceived perceptions of who you are, yep. what you are, what you're capable of, how you can commit to things, what you can actually achieve. Mm. And it's scary to, to go up against this mental image of mm. yourself And potentially not measure up. Mm -hmm. Now, I would challenge most people to say, actually, if you commit, you can measure up. And it might not be necessarily that you tick every single box that you feel like you might want to approach. Mm -hmm. But I think that by you continuing to explore, first of all, you find that there's other things that you're maybe good at. Mm -hmm. So you might have a list of 10 things and you find that two of them, you just don't meet expectation. Mm -hmm. But through that process of exploration, what happens is you end up, those 10 things get ticked off in some kind of way and you end up with another 10 things. And then you might find of those 10 things, there's a good bunch of those that you find yeah. you're good at. And what happens is rather than just being good at the 10 things you started with, you're actually good at 20 things. Mm-hmm. And fine, you might end up with eight things that you suck at, but you end up achieving more than you thought. And your expectation of yourself, your your view of yourself mm-hmm. can actually be much bigger mm. than, you, than you were trying to preserve in the first place by being too afraid to try.
0: Mm. Matt said in the start of that, There, people, you know, you don't have enough time. My only challenge, because the rest of what you said was absolutely spot on. My only challenge for that is that perhaps it's not time, it's actually how deeply you care
1: about. That's what I mean. When I say people don't have enough time, Mm. I'm using that as a term of excuse. Yeah. I don't have enough time. The kids require too much. I don't have the ability. I don't. There's always a reason why you can't. Mm. When you have potentially a fear of failure mm. or a concern about what the outcome's going to be, I guarantee that if something sits in your comfort zone and mm. you're interested in it, you find time. If the girl suddenly phoned and said, Oh, do you want to come around for a wine party? you find time. <laughs>
0: Not I me. Mean, I don't drink wine, well, but yeah, I know but what there's you mean. time
1: available for that. Yes. Suddenly, oh, yes. there's time available for all the things that you want to do, that you've done, that you enjoyed, that you feel comfortable with, how you're going to feel after you've done it. Mm-hmm. So there's time for those. There is time for other stuff, but we always go to time being a mm-hmm. problem as our default. Yeah. when we're potentially afraid. Of how we might perform in doing something,
0: uh, and also it's the balance. So making sure you pick what you do care about, so you you can't care about everything either, because you just run out. You will run out of physical time, or you, you know you'll need to make the time so minute that you might not make a lot of progress. You know, like five minute intervals. That's like what you like. exactly. It's picking the things actually you care about, but the level that you care about and engaging with it. Um, and I think for me, the the clear thing was really that. I have a lot of opinions about myself that clearly I don't have much evidence of actually based on what I can do right now. So, you know, these things that you decided when you were 14 or 15 or 25 that I'm no good at. Let's say I'm no good at relationships. I'm no good at handling money. That was a version of you last year or the 10 years ago or 20 years ago or the version that you saw growing up that's not the version of you right now have you tried if you still want to care about this or want to make change have you tried it today no using what you know now and the access to different resources or people and i would say if there's things in the past that you've tried and you go no nope, that's not for me but you really feel that like you wish you could do them and wish is such a you know a word that we go oh i wish i could do that well have you actually done anything about it probably not Those things, I would love for you to take a list of one or two things that you know, that you think, actually, maybe it's time to try. Maybe the right method will come up, the right person will come into my life. I'm going to engage with this every day and do something small because I want to get new evidence if I can or can't do it.
1: And if you have an idea that you're not good at something, as you mentioned, not good with money or whatever it is, well, when have you actually taken an approach that's more guided? more based mm. on someone that knows better someone that's been through a journey rather than hitting things in the same way that you have when you don't necessarily know any better mm. Like you if you taken a, an approach of doing some art mm. in the way that you would do art you would sit there you would doodle on some paper and then you would say well that sucks <laughs> and you do it in five ten yep. minutes Yeah. you wouldn't sit there for a long period of time and you wouldn't do things in a structured way sometimes You're not good at something because you haven't had the right lessons, Mm. the right education. You haven't followed the right inspiration that you need in order to be better. Because anybody can be good or better, at least, at art. Anybody can be better with their health and fitness. Mm. Anybody can be better with their money if they begin by following somebody's system Mm. that actually teaches enough of the principles principles, that you can understand what you're trying to achieve and move forward anybody can lose weight if they understand the principles of calories in and Mm. calories out Mm. and the balance of it whether or not you want to do slimming world weight watchers you want to do intermittent fasting all of those are ultimately doing the same things fundamentally so the method doesn't matter it's the principles and if you can learn those principles then you can be different to what your expectations have told you that you are.
0: Yep, absolutely. So that's my challenge for you this week if you're listening or watching us. What is one skill that you've held, you've thought about for a long time that you were simply not good at? And I'm going to really encourage you just that I, in the same way I've done in the past week with drawing and also I, can, I there's a couple of things that I've tried already and signed up for CrossFit being one of them. I'm going to give that a go now as well. Um, I would uh, encourage you to maybe create some new evidence so to commit to actually making some activity that would be aligned with being good at it in that one area do that for a short period in time and maybe just gather some new evidence are you truly bad or rubbish at that or actually is it just based on how you used to be and not based on your skill set right now it's been a really fun episode to share with you if you do fancy checking out the book you can we'll leave links down below and we also have my review video of the course that i went on I, i really did enjoy the course residential course compared to reading the book for me, I found I learned best that we've been quite in- intensive. But by all means, you can check out the book if you fancy learning to draw as an adult as well. I'd love to see your artwork. We have over 90 episodes of the podcast now that are an audio version. If you'd also like to watch, we've got a couple of months back on the Mama Fuffer channel channel's videos. You can go over there and like this video and watch some more as well. So thank you so much for watching and listening and we'll speak to you very soon.